good news for you. After 17 weeks, we're actually going to get to Acts chapter 3. It took 17 weeks to get through the first two chapters. We're doing all of chapter 3 in a day. Huh? <clears throat> this time of year is a fun time. Well, that's maybe a bad... It's an interesting time to own a golden retriever. Um, 90% of the time, 95% of the time, the dog is great. I don't know what's been getting into his water. If you drive by my house now, you'll think we're like a house of violence or something because you drive by and you see these mini blinds that are just tattered in the front of the house. And uh, I love my dog, but he has been bonsai lately. Anyway, if you take... Yeah, Adam knows. He was watching him for a weekend. If you, if you take Ripley, that's my golden retriever, three and a half years old, available to the highest bidder right now. Yeah. Comes with one free mini blind replacement. If you, uh, if you take Ripley, though, and you let him out into the country, when I go up to my parents' house, they live in Hibbing, but they actually have five miles out of Hibbing, which is the sticks. And so if you go there, or if you uh, take him like to my uh, uncle's, he lives out in Fertile, Minnesota. Huh? Anybody? Fertile? By Faustin. Right by Faustin. <laughs> yeah, right by Mentor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, a little tiny town. He owns a farm out there, and we let Ripley run. And there's something of beauty about watching a golden retriever in the wild. Oh, my goodness. They are just, when you take that leash off that dog, and that dog gets to run for a weekend, oh, my goodness. It is a thing of beauty to watch him run and to, to chase things and to get sprayed by skunks and all the other things that he did. It is an unbelievable thing when you take that leash off that dog and let him be a dog, what he was designed of God to be, and to let him just do dog for a whole weekend. He gets to do dog. And he comes home, and then he's for like six months, he's just clinically depressed, you know, on Prozac. And, and then he lives for those times he can just go back out and run out into the wild and, and just do dog. This morning, I'll, I... I want to encourage you, and while we're doing this series called Church on Fire, it's to unleash the church. I want us to do church, man. I, I want us to do it in a way that lets just like that dog out in the wild, where we are set free from a lot of the stuff that hold us, and we're set free to be who God calls us individually and as a church to be. And that's why we're doing this whole series, is to find out what that is, and then to take those steps of obedience at times, and we're going to find today that Peter takes two steps of obedience that if he doesn't take, the church takes a different turn. He takes two steps of obedience and realizes what it's like to be a Christian unleashed and lives that way. And it's radical. It's freeing. He's doing dog. He's doing Christian. That's my hope for you this morning is, is we can take a look at this passage in Acts chapter 3, and we'll, we'll take a look at what it means to, to be unleashed to let the Holy Spirit work through you and to make those decisions that, that allow you to be consistent with who you are. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. We're going to look at the first recorded miracle, uh, this first specific recorded miracle in the book of Acts. And we'll spend most, well, all of our time Acts chapter 3. So if you want to follow along there, you can follow along on the screen, or I believe you had an insert too, and it's kind of tiny print, but you can follow along on, on that. If you remember from Acts chapter 2, verse 43, it said that there were many miracles were done. It said uh, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. So I don't know if this is the first miracle 
that's recorded, or if this was one of those, or, or what. I'm not sure. But it's the first big one that's recorded. And we're going to see something that happens, and how Peter and how God uses it to advance the church. Okay, let's take a look at this. All we're going to do this morning is just walk ourselves through to all these 26 verses in this chapter and just kind of stop and pause and make, make observations along the way about what, what's happening here, which is a lot of the book of Acts. I like, I like narratives and I like story. Tell me a story. Acts is full of stories and we'll be doing a lot of this from here on out. Acts chapter 3, the setup. How does this scene, what's the scene, what does it look like? One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg for those going into the temple courts. Okay, so there, uh, a few things I want to, uh, before we keep going, just a couple things here, the setup. First thing is, is it's three in the afternoon. Three in the afternoon was a time, one of the three times that they had temple prayers. There was temple prayers at 9, 12, and 3. And so you could go to anyone or all of those if you were a faithful Jew, and you would, uh, you would be part of a group time of prayer. And so Peter and John are just going to this thing, and people would be coming. It would be like a service time, or it would be something that would be happening. It would be like, you know, like here when people come into the church. So there's a lot of people around. So get that picture. It's not just a normal time at the temple. It's service time or it's prayer time. Then it says, at, right by there, there's a man who was crippled from birth. So he had never walked. He had never had the opportunity to know what that would even feel like. And I think it's interesting. It says, he was carried to the temple and he was put. <laughs> it's like, here, be useful for something. Just put you there. And he stands... Or, excuse me, that's silly. He, 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 he sits or kneels or whatever he does. And he's there to beg from people who are going into the temple. Now, there's three main places where beggars would beg. One was they'd go outside the houses of the rich and they would beg. Outside the people who were rich. Secondly, Peter, could you kill that thing? It's driving me crazy if not everybody else. So... Um, <clears throat> Uh, it, the second way, they go by highways, fancy highways where, uh, not highways like we think of highways, but high, traveling places, and there they would beg. But the third place was in front of the temple. Now, why do you think they'd go to the temple? Because people who were rich, or even that weren't rich, would kind of show their spirituality. You know, it's easy to walk by someone somewhere else, but when you're on your way to church, aren't you supposed to do good things? And they're not stupid. It's a good place to go. It's a good place to be. So he is there, right in front of the temple, while this whole thing is going to be taking place. Okay, let's see what happens. The healing, verses 3 to 7. When he, that's the, the crippled man, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. It's an interesting thing to say. How would you say, look at us? Well, he's working the crowd. He's got a bunch of people. He's asking them for money. There's people going by. And Peter and John stop. And they say, look at us. So then it says, so the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from this. So Peter's drawing attention to himself. 
That's fine with this guy. He doesn't care how much of a, a fanfare you want to make about it. It's fine. Make a big deal. Tell everybody how much money you're giving. Doesn't matter. I'm getting money. That's all that matters. Peter says, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet, feet and ankles became strong. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Peter doesn't have any money. He says, gold or silver I don't have. That's what the guy was asking for. He says, but what I do have, I give to you. It's a famous story about uh, Thomas Aquinas, who was talking about this specific passage with the Pope at the time, Pope Innocent II. Pope Innocent II happened to be counting a large sum of money that the church had just received. And Pope Innocent said to Thomas, he says, you see, Thomas, the church can no longer say, silver and gold I have, have I none. True, Holy Father, said Thomas, and neither can she now say, arise and walk. There's something about being poor that makes you desperate for God. If you're a poor college student, praise God. I'm serious. If, you've got it, if you make comfort your goal, that's what you're after in life? White picket fence, 2.6 kids, Beamer, you know, whatever. You'll just replace your need for God. But when you're in an uncomfortable position where someone asks you for something, you say, you know what? I don't have anything to give you. But let me pray for you right here and right now. You are more Godward focused. Now, I'm not, if you've got a lot of money, bless you. That's wonderful. I'm not, that's good. There's nothing. Money's amoral. But you can use it as a God replacement. Silver or gold, I have none. But what I do have, I'm going to actually stop what I'm doing and I'm going to give you something. Now, here's the first sign of Peter's obedience. He could have just said, I don't have any money, and kept walking on. But at this point in time, God had decided he was going to do something. And so Peter, sensing God was going to do something, I don't advise anyone who doesn't honestly sense God doing something, walking up to somebody and saying, walk. If you sense that, go for it. But, you know, Peter did. And his, I mean, my mind would go, God, that's a little crazy. I mean, People don't normally do that. When people ask for a coin, I flip them a coin. Peter says, walk. Four things I want you to notice about this amazing, this is a different kind of healing than other places. First of all, it was, it was completely unasked for. The guy asked for money. He didn't, he didn't ask to get healed. Second, it was unexpected. The guy was, we'll see in just a second, he's surprised. Third thing, it was the only one that day. Now, I'm sure that cripple was probably not the only person standing there. I keep saying that. Uh, later, he was standing. The only person who was, who was kneeling or sitting there, there were probably other people around. God had sovereignly chosen to, on that day, for his purposes, to heal that person. Now, let me, uh, I wasn't sure if I was going to do this. I am. Um, uh, those of you who know me know that I like bunny trails. There's a big fancy word for bunny trails. If you want to get into, you know, you start reading your upper division classes or go to an upper division type school, it's called an excursus. 
Nice name for bunny trail. We're taking a little bunny trail here just for a second. Why doesn't God heal the whole lot? Why doesn't God heal the whole lot? Wouldn't that be even cooler? John chapter 5, we won't go there, but John chapter 5 is a healing at a pool where there's all these disabled people and they want to get in this pool when the water is ruffled and Jesus comes and heals a guy and then he leaves. One guy gets healed. The other people don't. Some of you here for a lot of different things have cried out to God for healing. I have cried out for God for healing on your behalf. And sometimes God heals. And sometimes he doesn't. And that's, as, that's about as theologically correct as I can give it to you. Does that mean don't stop asking? No. Does it mean to not worship the healing? Absolutely. Never worship the healing. Never decide, God, it's all on this healing. If you don't heal me, it's done. We're relationship, our relationship is done. No, let God be God. Sometimes he chooses to heal. I've seen it. I've seen a woman who had throat cancer, and it's gone. Surgeons could not find it. I've seen other people die. A friend of mine died from simple skin cancer. Why? I don't know. But I'm going to let God be God. I know he's good. I know he's powerful. I know he could. And for his reason, for his glory, he chooses not to sometimes. And his good and his glory, he chooses to sometimes. It wasn't asked for, and it was the only one that day. Fourth thing was, it was instantaneous, and it was complete, and it was done. Now, how do the people react? How does the man react? It says, he jumped to his feet, verse 8, and he began to walk. That'd be wild. He'd never walk before and just... Like a baby. You'd see his baby kind of taking his toddler steps. Then he went into the temple courts walking and jumping and saying, dude, I didn't ask for this. I wanted money. That's a neat trick. No. He didn't ask for it. He said he wanted money. But Peter says, I got something better. I got something that will solve the money problem too. You can get a job. He says he's praising God. How does the crowd respond? Verse 9, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized, recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in a place called Solomon's Colonnade, or often called Solomon's Porch. There's a church right over there by Abbott Northwestern called Solomon's Porch. This is where this is referring to. This is a crowd gatherer. This is amazing. This healing of this person who's there. Maybe he's a local, local fellow who for many, many years has been sitting at this temple gate. And, and people know this guy. It's Joe. Joe is walking. No way. Joe is walking. What's God doing? Why does he communicate to Peter, he, heal this guy, have this guy be healed? Not because of Peter, but because of me. Why? Remember back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, and in all Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. Peter has a second opportunity to be unleashed here. Peter has a second opportunity to be obedient this at this time, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he has time 
to say, I'm going to do it. Look at, what, look at what happens. When Peter saw this, verse 12, when Peter saw this, what's the this? This, this is all these people. He doesn't say, oh, we should do something spiritual. Let's take an offering. He doesn't do that. When Peter saw this, he said to them, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. Peter is taking his second step that morning and being unleashed and taking that second step to say, Lord, I see what you're doing here. You're giving me an awesome staging here, an awesome opportunity. This healing has a purpose, and that purpose is right here in the temple courts, I get to proclaim about Jesus. We're going to find out in chapter 4, that's a hazardous place to be, is the temple courts and talk about Jesus. But here I get to do it, and he's got a choice. He could say, isn't it neat? This is so cool. And for my next trick, I'll do... No, he doesn't say that. He decides that I am going to give God the glory from the very moment. Now, how do you change, how do you change from, look at this crazy thing that just happened, this guy got healed, to let's talk about Jesus? Because there is a bit of a transition there. And I love Peter's first thing he says. Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Well, Peter, because we usually don't see crippled guys get up and walk. I mean, isn't it kind of a ridiculous thing to say? Why does this surprise you? Why shouldn't it surprise us? And Peter wants to go on and he wants to give them the four basic points of the message of Christ. And he's just going to give them to them. Let's read it through and then we'll take a look at those four individual points. Let's read it through once. And I have to have it on two slides here. It's kind of, I wish I could have it on one, but I can't. Um, the God of Abraham, verse 13, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for you to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as, many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with, his, with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Now, 
Peter turns this miraculous thing that happens into an opportunity to talk about Jesus. Remember Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses. You're going to be the person who are going to testify before a court of law. That's the phrase witness means. You're going to do that in some pretty nasty places. Downtown Jerusalem, right there at the temple. We're going to find out chapter 4 is a dangerous place to be. Heart of the lion's den. And that's where he's going to get an opportunity to talk about Jesus. And he does. And he gives the four basic things. If you're a first time person to church ever, there are four basic things about Christianity you need to know. First one, God is a reality. There is a God, capital G. A personal God, not just, you know, like the force. But I mean, he's a real God, creator. And Paul... Uh, Peter makes it very clear. Now, it doesn't hurt to have a little miracle happen before. That really sets the stage. He has that. And then he says, he's, God's reality, you can see it. He says, go to the next one. Uh, yeah, he says, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? This same God has glorified his servant, Jesus. Then he goes in the end, he says, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is in Jesus' name and faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him as you can all see. God is a reality. A real reality. Not just a, oh, it's nice you believe that reality. No. It, it, the objective truth is the objective truth that God is real. If you tell me that you and I are standing in the middle of I-35W and I tell you that there's a bus coming, and you say to me, that's a nice thing for you to believe, but I choose not to believe that, you're going to be mush. Let's just pretend the bus strike was over and, you know, there really was a bus. So there's a bus coming. It's an objective truth. If you choose not to move and say, oh, that's nice for you, you're going to be spaghetti face. God is a reality. And Peter takes a moment, got the great staging with the miracle, makes it clear. God is real. Second thing is you and I and everyone has sinned against this holy and righteous God. And, and, and I love Peter, but man, he doesn't hold anything back from these poor guys. Look at this. Glorified his servant Jesus. We're going to come back to that phrase, servant Jesus. The word servant there is, is a big deal. Uh, we'll look at that in just a minute, but it means Jesus was a big deal, not just like, oh, you're, you're, you know, you're house servant. No, no, servant is a big deal. And he says, listen to what he says about them. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate. And then he even kind of piles it on. Pilate was going to let him go. But you weren't going to let that. You disowned him. Then, it, then he just... Makes a nice summary here. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released. And then he just nails him. You killed the author of life. You killed Jesus. He's the creator. You killed him. Now, I know that, uh, that there's probably a lot of other things that they did. Peter just goes straight to the heart. This is just a few, you know, maybe, I don't know, a few months now since this has happened. And he just says, 
Let's just pick one. Let's just pick one sin that maybe the whole crowd here was involved in. We could talk about other things too, but let's just pick this one. Maybe like uh, killing the author of life. That's eh, a big one. You killed the author of life, but God raised him to death. And then he goes on to say, we're witnesses of this. I saw you, and I saw you, and I saw you, and all of you is there. You and I have sinned against him. In just a minute, Peter's going to talk about how these very people, the very people who disowned Jesus, the very people who handed him over, the very people who are mocking him, who are spitting on him, the very people who killed the author of life. Peter doesn't even blame Pilate. Peter blames the Jewish leaders, the Jewish religious leaders and those in the religious community. That's who he blames. In a minute, he's going to say, you know what? The cross is big enough for you guys too. In a minute, he's going to say, your sins can be wiped out. I don't care what you brought into this room this morning. I don't care what it is that you brought in here that you have done. Nothing goes higher than killing the author of life. Can I get an amen on that one? Yeah, nothing goes higher than killing the author of life. I don't know what it is you're holding this morning and saying, you know what, I hear about this forgiveness thing and I gotta, I gotta yeah, yeah, that's true. But it, it, you know, that cross really isn't big enough. It's big enough. It's big enough to have people who killed the author of life. It's big enough for whatever you bring to the table. Think about that. Let God be your God and give him your sin. Don't worship your sin. Best advice I can give you. Second thing is you and I have sinned. Third thing, Jesus Christ can offer forgiveness. He's the Savior. He's the one who can bear your sin because he was fully God and fully man. We saw some of this already. It says his servant Jesus in verse 13. That is a loaded phrase. When he uses the phrase servant Jesus, does anybody know what that's referring to? Shiny dime for anybody who knows. Oh, who said that? You, very good. I don't have a shiny dime, but I got an Altoid. Here, have an Altoid. Um, <laughs> it's a loaded phrase. It's a servant songs in Isaiah. Any good Jew would know, whoa, dude, talking about servant, he's talking about Messiah. He's talking about Christ here. This is no small thing. His servant, Jesus, is a big deal. Then he goes on to say, he calls him the holy and righteous one, the author of life. And then he calls and says, in the name of Jesus, he was healed. You don't just go invoking people's names other than God. You invoke the name of God. This is the one, this very one, that one, go to the next slide there, uh, John. It says in verse 18 that his Christ would suffer. His Christ would suffer. And he's going to be the one that will take away your sin. Moses even talks about him as a prophet in verse 22. And you must listen to him. Verse 24 says, Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, on is spoken of Jesus. And, and the heirs of the prophets and the covenant made with your fathers. He talks about Abraham talking about Jesus. That through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up, here's that phrase again, his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you how to turn you from your wicked ways. That's the next point. The last point. First point is there is a God, capital G. Second point is you and I owe that God everything because you and I 
have slapped that holy God in the face. The third point is that Jesus Christ, being fully man and fully God, upon that cross, paid the penalty. God the Father poured out his wrath upon him on that cross instead of you and I. But the fourth thing is, is that you have to turn. The fourth thing here is you can be forgiven. Look at this. This is beautiful. Verse 17 says, Now, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance. Who seriously would try to kill the author of life? They didn't believe he was the author of life. He says that the leaders did that too. Verse 18, but then this is how God had foretold, excuse me, then this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That's the first thing. Wiped out is in the phrase, in the old time they used to write, it's erased is the word. Now when we think of erase, you think of just erasing, you kind of see it. No, no, no. In the old days there, they had the papyrus. It didn't soak into the paper. And so if you just took, if you just took water, it was gone. Gone, gone. Not kind of gone, gone. Gone, gone. Technical term. Look it up. Yeah. <laughs> that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Second thing. Times of refreshing can come from God. Forgiven of what? Even killing the author of life. Forgiven. What else? Refreshing. And then third thing it says that he may send Christ. Peter wants Jesus to come back again. However, verse 23 says, if you don't listen to him, you'll be cut off from among his people. And that's what lays before you this morning. I don't know where you're at in your spiritual journey. I don't really care. I don't care if you've made a decision for Christ yet, yet already or not. That's, that lays before you the same message. Are you willing to turn to God? Even this morning, wherever you're at, are you willing to turn to God? Repent of other things. Let them go and turn to God. How do they respond? We're going to see how the religious rulers respond to this in the first three verses of chapter 4 in a couple weeks. But how does this crowd respond? Acts chapter 4, verse 4. We'll just look at this. We'll look at it again in a couple weeks. But it says, But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. Now, I looked that up. Why does it say men? That's an interesting... Why does it say men? And they're not sure. It could be just be men. So we went from 3,000, and that seemed pretty clearly that that was just people, went men, women, and children. And now we've, by this point in time, already in Acts chapter 3, we're to 5,000 men. That could be, or it could just be another phrase for people. I don't know. It doesn't matter. 3,000 to 5,000 or 3,000 to 8,000, however, however that adds up, or, is a lot of people. It's a lot of people. It's about 300 people in this room. Multiply that by whatever to get to 5,000. <laughs> 14, right? Yeah, 52. <clears throat> many, many that morning responded to the words of Jesus. Let me ask you this morning something. Will you respond to the words of Jesus? Some of you this morning are here and you're, you're, you feel like you are that cripple. Some of you are here this morning and you feel maybe physically like you're the cripple. Maybe you are a cripple. Maybe you are invalid. And you're saying... God, uh, how about me? I would like that. 
I would like to jump and praise God. I have two things on that. One is ask. Ask. And don't doubt. Does not doubting mean that it will happen? No. But does, does not doubting mean that you don't, without a shadow of doubt in your mind, you know that if God, if he so chooses in a moment, could change you. That's what it means. Ask. Whatever it is. Feel you're busted up inside? Ask. Ask for healing. Struggling with anorexia? You don't know how to get out of it? Sexual addiction? I don't care what. Ask. Ask to get out of it. See what God does. He may just go boom. He may not. When we were worshiping, it came to my mind that I have a brother and sister uh, who are both, were both born stillborn. So we thought of Matt and Val. And I know my mom and dad cried out to God for these children. But they were both born stillborn. I don't know why. I don't know. I, I would love to have known my brother and sister. But I don't. I don't have a brother and sister. I don't know why. But I'm not going to worship the fact that he didn't. I, know, I trust him. And I trust him. I don't get it. But I trust him. Some of you also here this morning are at a point where you're, you're on that precipice feeling like, I'm kind of enjoying the leash of what society tells me to live. I'm kind of enjoying the leash of living the way the world tells me and filling myself up with the things that I think will satisfy. And I'm here to tell you this morning, let the leash go. Be unleashed. Don't let that stuff satisfy you. Don't let it satisfy you. Let yourself be unleashed. Do dog. For some of you, that means for the first time in your life, come to a point where you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and turn your life over to Him. That's a hard thing. But that's where you're at. For others of you, you know that right now you are living in a way that you're not saying yes to God. You don't, I don't know what about. You do. And I'm telling you, that is not doing dog. That is not living unleashed. Say yes, whatever it is that He's asking you to do. And the last thing I want to say this morning is, are you like Peter, and I pray this into my life, are you able to use all events to talk to people about Jesus? I mean, granted, I know, a healing is a little easier than, oh, did you see the Timberwolves last night? Did you know that some people killed the author of life? And I don't know how that, it's a little more of a transition. But, are you looking at, you look at life as opportunities to say, how can I? tell you about the best news in the world that Christ has regarded our helpless estate and has shed his own blood for our soul. Let's pray. Lord, you have the power to heal. You do have that power. So right now in this room, in the name of Jesus, I asked for healing to run for everyone who needs it. God, for illnesses, for thoughts, for addictions, for broken relationships. I just pray for healing. That it be complete, that it be instantaneous, that people would go around jumping around. Oh God, would you just do that? Would we see that in your midst and be in awe of it? May we never stop asking for such an awesome thing. Lord, there are people in this room even right now, God, who for whatever reason are holding a line of resistance against you. And I ask, Father, that you would let, you allow us to let that down. 
He allows us to let that wall of resistance down so that we can say, yes, Lord, I will obey you. Just like Peter took two steps this morning to see a man who's crippled from birth and to stop and to hear your voice and to say, I'll, I'll risk being foolish here and saying something and then using that opportunity when he saw the crowd said, here I am. Lord, use me. Let me be your witness. God, I don't know what it is you're calling us in this room to do, but would you give us that kind of guts to run unleashed and in obedience to what you'd have us to do. So Father, I ask that you just come in our midst, even as we close in these last songs, that you would bring yourself to the minds of people. Show yourself a reality. Show yourself to be true. We just ask this in Christ's name.